Alright, <clears throat> here to talk about current events and a uh, story that kind of kind of hit me hard. Fiancé of missing Gillette woman pleads not guilty to felonies related to crimes against her. 38-year-old fiancé of missing Gillette woman and person of interest in her disappearance has pleaded not guilty to five felonies relating to the crimes against her. Nathan J. Heitman, that's the guy on the left, has been accused of transferring more than $3,000 from Irene Wairimu Gakwa's bank account into his account, maxing out her credit cards on purchases, including boots and shovel, deleting her email and changing her banking password. Heitman pleaded not guilty to all charges on Tuesday afternoon, according to his attorney, Seven, Stephen Titus. Sorry, Irene, 32-year-old woman from Kenya, is still missing, and Gillette Police Department have no news, uh, no new updates at this time. She was last seen alive during a video call with her parents on February 24th and was reported missing by her brother on March 20th. Heitman told the Gillette police detective that Irene came home from eating in a restaurant one night in late February and said she was leaving Gillette. Court documents state, he said she packed her clothes into two plastic bags and was picked up by someone in a dark SUV. He admitted to police that he had accessed Irene's bank accounts and removed the money, saying he did so to force her to contact him but said he has not heard from her since she left. <clears throat> Heitman has been identified as a person of interest in Gakwa's disappearance and has refused to cooperate with investigators, according to police. It's not like Irene to be out of contact with her family, according to her brothers, Kennedy Winnemna and Chris Gakwa, who both live in Idaho. Irene had moved to the U.S. roughly five years ago to be near them and met Heitman on an online dating site, Craigslist. I look at this dude, and I look at her, and she had to have not, you know, she had probably not much people experience, not much to know about uh, how... How to read people, how to understand people, especially a, a guy like him. She looks like very studious, very educated. He looks like, you know, not very educated, very average. And she couldn't read that. Chris Gakwa said he was surprised to learn his sister was living in Wyoming as she told the family she was living in Arizona. She said Heitman encouraged her to lie to her family about where she was living as a means of isolating and controlling her. Chris Gakwa said his parents in Kenya have been particularly worried and it's been hard on them all as they continue looking and holding out, holding out hope that his sister will be found. It's very stressful, he said. We don't even want to talk about it. You don't know what to say or what to do. You feel helpless. The Gillette police are asking for the public's help in locating a gray or civil Sabaru cross deck with Idaho license plates that may have been seen trespassing on private property or in rural areas of Campbell County 
between February 24th and March 20th, the department is also seeking information regarding possible sightings of a 55-gallon metal drum which may have been burned and or abandoned within the county. Gok was described as 5 foot 1, 100 pound black woman. This guy looks at least like 6 something. At least close to 300 pounds. It, it, I wonder what the divestor community is going to talk about this. I wonder what they're going to say about this. Okay? And I, I'll... I have I have to say this, you know, in 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 Africa, you have uh, some of them, you know, especially some hate hate to say it. Sometimes in Nigeria, they have this idea that white is right. That look, evil people are in every ethnic group. Evil man, woman doesn't matter your religious faith, doesn't matter your economic class. There are evil people in this world, and it doesn't matter what color skin they are. If they're liked in the world society, they still can be evil. And this is what the divesting community does not really talk about. They don't talk about these stories. Okay. They don't talk about the dark side of it. You have to worry about the content of character, not skin color. It's sad. It, it is sad what happened. It really is. So on to the next story. How many of you remember the story of Mark Wilson? We're going to get into that. See, what happened was uh, with Mark Wilson is the fact that he was with his girlfriend, who is white. Mark Wilson is black. And they were being harassed by these uh, racist white teens that tried to run him over. In self-defense, Mark turned back and shot a bullet at the teen and it ended up hitting a 16-year-old girl who was riding with the white racist teens. And she died. Let's see what happens now. Good afternoon, I'm Marvis Herring. Re-interrupt programming to bring you breaking news in the murder trial of Mark Wilson. Just moments ago, a Bullock County jury found Wilson guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Slaughter 
that was all. Sentencing is now set for September 20th. I'm Marvis Herring. We'll see you back here on WJCL 22. <sighs> it's it, it, this is what we what we going through, man. All right, hold on a minute. Let me raise the volume. All right, is this better? Is this better? How about that? Uh, go right here. All right. All right. It's sad that, that you can't even defend yourself as a black person. Following about seven hours of deliberation of jury found Mark Wilson guilty of involuntary manslaughter for June 14, 2020 shooting death of Haley Hutchison, who was he was found guilty on all counts. After the verdict was read about 1.15 p.m., <clears throat> Wednesday in Bullock County Superior Court, Judge Ronald K. Ronnie Thompson announced sentencing will be September 20th at 2 p.m. No bond was set for Wilson at this time, and he was sent back to the Bullock County Jail. When instructing the jury Tuesday afternoon, Judge Thompson told jurors they could acquit Wilson of felony murder, which means causing a death by committing another felony. In this case, allegedly aggravated assault, but find him guilty of one of the lesser homicide crimes, second-degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, or involuntary manslaughter. Wilson was acquitted of all other charges, but convicted of involuntary manslaughter. In Georgia, a conviction of involuntary manslaughter carries a sentence from one to ten years. Following his arrest in June 2020, Wilson was incarcerated in the Bullock County Jail for more than 20 months before receiving bail in March 2022. He has been under house arrest since at his parents' home in Sharpsburg, Sharpsburg, Georgia, where he wore an ankle monitor and remained within 25-mile radius of the home. After about two hours of deliberation Tuesday, the jurors requested some definitions of the offenses from the judge, and, Thomas, and Thompson had then returned to the courtroom where he reread the definitions. They then left for the jury room and continued deliberations until 6.30 p.m. Let me just say, stay away from Georgia. Stay away from Georgia. This is how it's going to be, you know. It's rare you will get justice in, uh, you know, Georgia, okay. I was shocked when they got justice for um, Ahmaud Arbery. I was shocked because the way things were going, the way people were acting like animals when it came to that. And um, by the grace of God, they convicted all three of those white supremacists for the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Mark Wilson, I hope they do protest for that. I hope they do protest for Mark Wilson. Is this guy, you know, he was trying to defend himself from being run over by a bunch of racist white teens. They then left for jury, left the jury room and continued deliberations until 6.30. When Thompson dismissed them for the evening, jurors resumed deliberations at 9 a.m. this morning, Wednesday. The verdict was read about 1.15 p.m. All 15 jurors selected chosen through the August 22nd to 23rd selection process remained through the five days of testimony and argument. 15 appeared 
to include eight men and seven women, including two black women. When the 12-member jury was sent out Tuesday, one of the black women was included, while the other was one of the three alternates. When Wilson fired several shots from a 9mm handgun while driving his Ford Fusion, accompanied by Ridgedon along Veterans Memorial Parkway, Statesboro Bypass shortly before 1 a.m. on Sunday. June 14, 2020, one bullet struck Hutchinson, 17, in the head, as she has as has not been disputed. At the time, she was riding with four other teenagers from Claxton in a crew cab Chevrolet Silverado pickup. Wilson's attorney have long asserted that the teenagers in the truck, particularly the three boys, initiated a conflict, shouting racial slurs, gesturing, and swerving into Wilson's lane after mistaking Wilson, who is biracial, and Richardson, who is white, for another interracial couple. Wilson did not testify during the trial but a recording of what he told two Statesboro Department detectives during a June 16, 2020 phone call he made to Richardson while the detectives were at her apartment was played three times during the trial. Why didn't he get to um, to defend himself in trial? Why didn't he get to take the stand? The prosecution played it the first time while on the while one of the detectives was on the stand. Defense called the other detectives as a witness and played it again. And Johnson played it yet again during his closing argument. The hell? This, this is crazy. This is insane, man. Absolutely insane. really is I don't know what to say man I don't but like I said I really do hope that people um, come together and do a GoFundMe for Mark Wilson and they do protesting and apply pressure to get this man, you know, out of jail. I really do. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Now here's a story of somebody that's just completely out of control. She just, she just, you know, had an argument and she felt she could, you know, take her car and commit. She, like she was playing a video game. Like she was literally playing a video game. That's what she thought she could do. Let's get into it. Hard Talk Radio. Absolutely insane, man. People, the way the things that should probably get a lighter sentence. What's going on here? 
held tonight on a half million dollar bond after allegedly running down two men in a Kroger parking lot, killing one of them. Our David Winter has more details on what happened Wednesday night and more on that innocent bystander who was unfortunately killed. David. Yeah, Kylie, it is a story full of heartbreak and irony all the way around. The man killed was not even the alleged target, and he ran a nonprofit aimed at driver safety. A completely innocent victim that was struck by the defendant uh, while that victim was exiting Kroger's died from his injuries. Uh, that gentleman is depicted right here on his motorcycle. The assistant prosecutor at the bond hearing for 24-year-old Tavia Chapman picture the prosecutor was holding is this man, Scotty Griffin. My heart is just shattered, completely shattered. Molly B. True dated Scotty for five years, and even though they broke up in 2019, they remained close. She had texted him Wednesday. I saw that he hadn't read the text, so I had like a sick feeling in my stomach all day, and um, when I saw his friend Bill calling me, um, when I saw his friend calling me, I knew that something was wrong. This is cell phone video from the scene. Police say Ms. Chapman was arguing with another man at the Kroger in Spring Grove Village when she got in her minivan and tried to run him down. Police say she hit him, breaking his leg, but then also hit Scotty Griffith, who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She thought she hit the brake, perhaps she hit the gas, um, and that's, that there was no intent to harm anyone, let alone kill somebody. Chapman's defense attorney argued for a low bond. The prosecutor argued for a high one, citing two other cases, an arrest in 2020 for allegedly using a hammer to break her ex-boyfriend's windows, and an arrest last year for allegedly beating her seven-year-old daughter with a belt and punching her in the face. I'm here on his behalf since he can't be. Molly spoke at the hearing this morning. She wants to make sure there is justice for her friend, known well throughout the local music and motorcycle communities, who survived a motorcycle crash and fought back from paralysis only to start a nonprofit to help others avoid getting hit by cars. Now, Molly says Scott Chapman used to be a sound man for Aerosmith and ZZ Top. He owned a well known motorcycle shop in Newport, and then there was that nonprofit, Look Twice Cincy. A lot accomplished in his 58 years of life. Cut that. that. She should have been locked up. She should have been locked up and her kid taken away. That's what should have happened. That is what should have happened. Okay? But unfortunately, the law is very lenient on women. Okay? There's no real equality when it comes to the law. And I remember talking to a friend of mine about that And he told me that he talked to a cop And he was saying that the reason why sometimes The law is not um, equal when it comes to women facing punishment Because if it was, a whole lot of women would be locked up in jail Because you have some women doing some really crazy stuff You really do Alright, let's get into the next story Seems like uh, uh, hold on one minute. 
Seems like Brett Favre just keeps, uh, seems to be getting in a lot of trouble. First it was the ladies, now it's this. questioning former NFL quarterback Brett Favre in a Mississippi welfare case. Favre's attorney confirming that to NBC News. It's all part of a massive investigation into alleged misuse of tens of millions of dollars meant to go to needy families in America's poorest state. Here's NBC's justice and intelligence correspondent, Ken Delanian. You know, you have to make a choice whether you want to pay your light bill or whether you want to put food on the table. Tamara Edwards raised four children on her own in Mississippi, applying for welfare benefits just once for childcare while she worked. Each year, Mississippi gets $86 million in welfare money from the federal government, though the state rejects 90% of those who apply, including Edwards. When I reapplied, I was not able to be on it again because they told me that they didn't have the funding for it. But the state was dispersing millions more of its welfare dollars, just not to families that urgently needed it. In court documents and audit reports, the state alleges that the head of Mississippi's welfare agency squandered more than $70 million intended for children in poverty, instead using it as a private slush fund to benefit his family and friends. Tens of millions of dollars on items like hiring retired pro wrestlers, first-class air travel, a horse ranch, and $5 million to build this women's volleyball facility at the University of Southern Mississippi. That building with ties to an NFL Hall of Famer. Brett Favre's daughter played volleyball at the university. Text messages obtained by Mississippi Today show Favre saying he helped secure government grant money for a new arena. And he personally was paid more than a million dollars to give three motivational speeches that never happened. Favre declined to talk to NBC News, but his attorney says he has been questioned by the FBI. Favre says he never knew it was welfare money and paid it back after demands by state officials. Favre still owes $228,000 in interest imposed by the state auditor. I wanted to at least collect the facts. Former U.S. Attorney Brad Pygott was hired by the state to find the money. How is Brett Favre getting money that's supposed to get kids out of poverty? It's a mystery to us. Here we had tens of millions of dollars sent by the country to do the thing that we need done the most and it was squandered in july he issued a subpoena to get more answers about that volleyball arena including any communications between the university and former governor phil bryant whom pygott says directed the spending bryant says he was unaware that welfare money was involved what happened to you after you filed your subpoena i was uh, terminated the state welfare agency says they fired Pygott because the client and the lawyer were not on the same page. The investigation has only recently resumed. Welfare agency head John Davis was arrested and charged with bribery and conspiracy. He pled not guilty. The agency declined an interview, saying they are committed to rebuilding the trust of the citizens and making all future grant decisions by committee. So far, just $1.1 million has been recovered. This is shameful, man. This is just completely... It's shameful. I mean, you're a football player, all right? You make millions. 
kicking the ball up and down, you know, the field. All right, you kick a ball, grab, you, know, you play for the NFL. I mean, why do people who are on welfare got to suffer for you? And you got a lot of corrupt people in this world when it comes to this. It's disgusting that he took the money. All right. That's the sad part. I don't know what to say, man. I don't. It's like, you're rich. You already have money. Leave this money alone for these people that are on welfare. You don't need it. The sad thing is, it's like in this country, people are still will idolize athletes, entertainers, but these people don't care about you. Okay, California, there's a water crisis, and they're still using up water. You know, that has to be just that has to be distributed to people of the common folk, like you and me. Wait till things get wait till things get serious, and you'll see how evil some of these uh, rich elite are. That's how it's gonna be. This is another crazy story. People just taking that car. You can't be. You can't be doing this, man. You can't. I think there's nothing's going to happen to you. GTA was is just a game. It is just a game. You do think that I really do think is that's all it is. People play too many video games. I really think it's like that. But let's get into it. Hard Talk Radio live in 4K. A man is now charged with a fatal hit and run that killed three men in. Superintendent David Brown a short time ago announcing the arrest of a 34-year-old man who will be charged with three counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder, all stemming from that deadly hit-and-run. Police arrested Tavis Dunbar. Police say he turned himself in yesterday. Police say 
He is a convicted felon and intentionally hit several people, killing three and severely injuring a fourth. This happened outside Jeffrey's Pub a little more than a week ago. Witnesses told police there was a fight outside the popular LGBTQ bar, but police say they do not think Dunbar was involved in that fight. This hit and run happened in the 7,000 block of South Jeffrey Boulevard. Police said they found the vehicle used four blocks away, but no driver. However, they were able to track Dunbar from the car. Here's Superintendent David Brown. The man was about to hit. Let's rewind that. Let's rewind that part again. Right here. Yep. Here we go. In the 7,000 block of South Jeffrey Boulevard, police Woo. said they found the they throw, They cut it just when it was about to, just when he was about to make impact with these three men. And plus, you you hit three people of the, you know, the alphabet. Yeah, he, he's gonna get hit with hard some hard time. Vehicle used four blocks away, but no driver. However, they were able to track Dunbar from the car. Here's Superintendent David Brown a short time ago. Three victims: a twenty-three-year-old male. 25-year-old male and a 27-year-old male were killed. A fourth victim, a 21-year-old male, was also seriously injured. At the time, Dunbar was placed in custody, surrendered to the police. This senseless act of violence won't be tolerated in the city of Chicago. And this arrest was the result of hard work done by the men and women of Chicago Police Department and true community Collaboration. Now, right now, Chicago police saying that they do not believe that this is a hate crime. The 34-year-old is due in bond court uh, sometime here this afternoon. The state's attorney also at this press conference today saying that prosecutors will be asked that he be held without bond. You're live. That's interesting. Held without bond. But, you know, you have a bunch of people that have committed heinous, you know, just as heinous crimes, and they still get bond, and they still are able to be back on the streets. We do, I seriously think we have a mental illness problem in this country. We seriously do. think we have that problem and it's not being addressed let's get into what Mr. Grady has been doing Sheriff Grady is doing the Lord's work that's what I gotta say about Mr. Grady can't get you can't knock him man you just simply cannot knock the dude Hard Talk Radio live in 4K
have a police operation because we had a successful police operation. But we're trying to identify the victims of human trafficking. And when we do, from the moment they come into the operation, we want to immediately hand them off to our social services friends and our counselors so that they can begin working with these. Disney workers, teachers among 160 arrested in Polk County for human trafficking. Teachers. Victims of human trafficking. These are some of the most difficult victims to work with. We know there are a lot more of them that admit it. As you can see, that we have fuzzed out the faces of several that have admitted or either we suspect. And then there's one that we had to tape over this morning that was in the county jail who just this morning admitted to us, okay, I am a victim of human trafficking. I would like services. So our goal is to start these services the moment that, the, that they are taken into custody and then to treat them as what they are, victims, not suspects of criminal events. I might point out if other of these prostitutes come forward later as victims, there's specific law in the state of Florida that's really terrific that causes us to go in and eliminate all evidence of an arrest, photographs, reports, court actions, and they're treated as a victim. And it's important to understand that if there were no jobs, if there were no customers, there would be no prostitutes, and there would be no human trafficking. But folks, the overwhelming majority of these ladies are or have been in the past taken advantage of. You know, they used to call them, oh, it's, he, he is, it's, the one who provides for me. He's the one that gives me a ride. But what we've found is many, many, many times that, in fact, this person is trafficking this lady. He's making a profit off of her. He is controlling her very life. As I said, some of these victims are hardcore because they've learned that these traffickers control their very life, what they wear, where they live, their drugs, their food, their entire life. We've got to break all that down. So having services on site to deal with this is very important. So we made a... Hold on one minute. Thank you. 
at the end of it. 419 previous felonies, 619 previous misdemeanors. So many of these people were already well known to the criminal justice system. Only 16 of the 160 were from Polk County. I think the people of Polk County are about to get the message that if you come here and violate the law, we're going to put you in jail, and Brian Haas and his prosecutors are going to prosecute you. So we're pleased that it was only 16. These people will never be able to work a regular job. They will be homeless. They will be in the system to the day they die. They're going to prison. I mean, if they get out, I'm talking about. They get out. They survive prison. They get out. They'll be in the shelter system to the day they die. They will never, family won't even take them in. Well, some of them, unfortunately, family will take them in and risk being caught up in whatever nonsense they do to make money on the side because no one's going to hire them. They're done.
today other than to tell you that he resigned from the police department. Freaking cop, man. A cop. You know? A cop doing this stuff. They're going to kill him in prison. That's it. It's over. They'll have protective custody, but I don't know how long that will last. Twenty-four years old. He came there on a late night. He lives in Orlando, and he wanted the, to engage in consensual sex with a prostitute. He turned out to be an undercover law enforcement officer. <laughs> Simping, man. Simping never pays. Simping never pays. This chasing sex. Is, is brought down so many of us men So many Losing careers You lost a career man You're 24 years old Life set And you're gonna lose it over some End up being an undercover cop Busted Lost it all buddy Of course. 
brain cells. He didn't care until he was caught, and then it was serious. Well, what about that little girl you sexually battered at school in your office where you were a computer tech? So in any event, he's arrested again, and we certainly hope that there is a Parker v. State so that he stays locked up. He's a dangerous person to children, to the community, when he's not locked up. You had a good job, man, and you go and throw it away sleeping with minors. <sighs> Child molesters have to be... Under the jail and stay under the jail. All right, moving on, moving on. I love it when Sheriff Dr Sheriff Grady just be uh, cleaning house, man. He just be um, putting people out on Front Street. Love this dude, man. I love this dude. All right. That dude, the man. All right. I feel sorry for this young man. I really do. He's just doing his job. And some white supremacist comes out of nowhere. Showing a man punching a FedEx. Video. Showing a man punching a FedEx driver in Portage and using several racial slurs. It happened on Bruning Street over the weekend. And News 8's Whitney Bernie in the newsroom after talking with that driver. Whitney? Terrell Lipsy started driving for FedEx two years ago. And he says he's never experienced anything like this while driving that route. Tonight... We're not showing the attacker's face because he hasn't been charged. A normal Saturday delivering packages turns ugly. Sure, what it was, I'm not sure if it's mental or whatever, but 
very upsetting. The incident now sparking concern for other delivery carriers. This was eight all the way. And if he's that angered, you know, he could have easily took this young man's life. His mother could have been at the medical examiner's office trying to identify her son. In a statement to our newsroom, FedEx says, quote, We are both saddened and outraged by the behavior exhibited in this video and our first concern is for the driver involved. They go on to say they're working with Lipsy and police to further address the attack. It was just crazy to me that somebody just randomly just kind of could do something like that. Lipsy says he's now working with the Portage Department of Public Safety to press charges. We did request a copy of that police report to confirm an arrest and learn what charges, if any, that individual... That is what the third attack I've heard now of FedEx drivers. It's a good thing they have video, but it's getting dangerous out here. Extremely dangerous. Especially for Especially for blacks. These 16 year olds are just throwing their lives away, man. Just literally throwing their lives away. Let's see what happened here. Twelve-year-olds shot while waiting for their school bus, and police say the person who pulled the trigger is only 16 years old. Local 10's Alex Finney is live in Northwest Miami-Dade. With what led up to that shooting, Alex? And Eden, it is so bizarre and it is so heartbreaking. These children were just waiting for the school bus to head to school. And also this as well, we just got an update from police. We have photos of the weapons that apparently this 16-year-old used. All because these kids refuse to give up their cell phones. These are the guns that police say a 16-year-old used to shoot two children waiting for the school bus Thursday morning. One of the victim's mother told Local 10 off-camera that she is hoping and praying that her son will be okay. Individual 16 years old approached them with a firearm demanding their property and just began shooting at them for no reason. The shooting occurred just before 8 a.m. in the area of Northwest 109th Street and 10th Avenue. A 16-year-old approached the two victims and demanded their cell phones. When they said no, he immediately began firing at them. This man who lives nearby described what he saw and heard. I just saw a kid shot in the leg. He said, I saw I saw in pain. I can't hold it no more. The two children were transported to Jackson Memorial Hospital. Meanwhile, a nearby school was on lockdown for a while as police searched for the suspect. Sky 10 flying above as the teen was arrested. Police say he was found in a nearby shed off Northwest 96th Street. These are two juveniles, two 12-year-olds. To be our children, they're just going to school. That is the last thing that any parent has in their mind, that their 12-year-olds that are waiting to go to school are going to get shot at. And for these families, that's just such a scary reality. That is what happened. We actually saw the families coming and going uh, throughout the day. Again, they did not want to go on camera, but we do know that the two children are stable. Now, for an update on this story, which I'm sure there's going to be, make sure that you stay with us right here on air, but also 
over at local10.com. For now, that's I'm betting that kid was raised by a single mom. I'm betting it. You know, if not, then that you know, it's just a ghetto family. They don't raise their kids. They're gonna probably say he didn't do anything. Then people are not raising their kids, you know. And then wonder why the cops got to step in, or that kid gets shot because they were trying to harm another individual. Sixteen years old, you picking on, you trying to rob. You could have killed this, killed one of those kids, and you've been doing life. This is Miami, Florida. Florida don't play. But I'm glad the cops got a hold of this little brat. Okay. And I hope Fannie Willis, you know, puts her foot on these criminals' neck because these kids are looking up to these criminals. And once these criminals go away... Hopefully these kids will turn around. Hopefully. They will. Uh, Next one. This man was literally. um, Literally being a serial killer. One by one. Just deleting people. One by one. That's what he was doing. No faking. No faking. For a teen who had a lot to say on social media, live streaming the start of a nearly 20-hour crime spree, he had very little to say while in court Friday. Judge Karen Massey officially handing down one charge for murder in the deadly attack of Dwayne Tunstall outside this Highland Heights home earlier in the week. We, we expect that other charges will be Soon. Kelly is accused of going on a violent and deadly attack that left four dead and three others injured. Because the case is so intricate, Assistant DA Chris Lero says they're being careful each step of the way. So that warrant was outstanding as police were looking for him. The additional shootings occurred, and so those matters are still pending investigation. During Friday's hearing, the 19-year-old was appointed a public defender, who he spoke to briefly. But when it comes to speaking to the judge, Kelly was not cooperative. Judge Massey having to ask him either to repeat himself, to speak up, or to answer aloud instead of responding with a head nod. Kelly has been in trouble with the law even before turning 18. This has many asking yet again about juvenile reform. I think this calls for an examination of what kind of interventions we can do early on to... um, stop people in 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 their course uh, of life a life that could be spent behind bars with no chance of living again in the outside world if convicted and we're going to do everything we can to see that justice is done in this case as in all other cases because public safety is our absolute number one priority ezekiel kelly is set to appear back in courtroom 11 september 13th at which time he could learn about additional charges if he doesn't learn before next week We'll be there as well, bringing you any and all updates every step of the way. Reporting inside the CJC, Jarita Patterson, WREG.
this is what it's come down to. This is what it's come down to. That they're really going to have to just take another look at even letting violent youth out. Why should they? Why should they let them out? This guy's been in trouble before. And now he's possibly, possibly looking at uh, life without parole. That's what he's probably looking at. Okay. That that is what that is what could happen. And he has no one to blame but himself. You got some liberal blacks who will probably say, um, "Oh, you know, it's the white man's fault." No, 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 no. He did this to himself. And he's going to have to serve the time And he's going to have to deal with the fact that he's going to be someone's girlfriend Bent over day and night By larger inmates Getting institutionalized But one act of brutality at a time That's just how it is Okay. And people will Once again You'll have liberal blacks that will not Look at it that way They're not looking, There are consequences for your actions Have a Uh Seems to be we have a uh, mass shooter <clears throat> at a uh, grocery store in Oregon. This morning, police investigating a deadly rampage at this Oregon grocery store. Response to an active shooter at Safeway East in Ben Police say at 7.04 p.m., a suspect carrying an AR-15 style weapon and a shotgun began firing in the parking lot outside the Safeway. There were 10 to 20 shots, and then another 10 to 20 shots, and by that time, I went inside and told my dad to get away from the window, and people were running up. Once inside, investigators say he moved through the store, shooting and killing another person. The shooter entered the west entrance of Safeway, and that person entered the west entrance, they engaged one person there and shot that person. When police arrived, they found the man they believed to be the shooter dead inside this morning they're not commenting on a motive instead pointing to a long investigation ahead two people were killed at the scene their names not being released police also not releasing the name of the suspect at this point an additional person was shot wounded transferred to the hospital in bend oregon they're being listed as in good condition expected to survive person's name is ethan miller Okay, that's his name. Ethan Miller was identified as the active shooter who killed two people August 28th at a Safeway grocery store in Bend, Oregon, after first plotting a school shooting in in a Maccabee manifesto that read, I'm evil, plain and simple, 
Ben police spokesperson Sheila Miller identified the shooter as Ethan Blair Miller, 20 of Ben, and the two victims as Glenn Edward Bennett, a shopper, and Donald Ray Surratt Jr., an employee who tried to disarm the gunman. Bennett, 84 of Ben, was shot near the entrance to the store, she said. Surratt, 66 of Ben, was shot in the rear of the store in the produce section. Surratt engaged the shooter, attempted to disarm him, and may very well have prevented further deaths, police spokeswoman Miller said. Mr. Surratt acted heroically during this terrible incident, two other suffering injuries that were not life-threatening. You can read more about the hero Donald Surratt, who was an Army veteran here. Bennett was a medic in the Korean War. Years ago, Fundly pays to help his widow. Officers respond to the store in an area of the Forum Shopping Center on Sunday night, August 28, 2022, according to police. I'm a bloodthirsty, evil psychopath, he wrote in a journal entry on Wattpad. Reviewed and saved by Heavy before it was deleted. The page is called The Downward Spiral of Ethan Miller. The gunman also posted pictures of himself with weapons on Instagram and videos showing him firing guns on YouTube. Well, this is it. Read another post on the manifesto. Today's the day I die. Miller wrote that he planned to be a school shooter and was influenced by Columbine. But he could, could not wait any longer for the start of school, which is how he ended up <clears throat> at the Safeway on Sunday instead. He left behind voluminous social, voluminous social media accounts, lots, lots of them. Miller, who died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound in the store, had no criminal history, and authorities did not learn about his writings until after the mass shooting, Sheila Miller said. She said police were investigating how Ethan acquired the weapons. Miller railed against COVID restrictions in a journal writing, I was turned into a monster. I created this tragedy, but society created me. Weird. The journal, which was posted on Wattpad, reads as a final manifesto, although it was written over the course of multiple days. It has been taken down, but heavy saved screenshots in it. Miller railed about COVID-19 hysteria by government and blamed isolation and loneliness for the mass shootings. I was isolated during those times, it, man. But Miller, who was heavily involved in mixed martial arts, also outright stated that he was evil. I think the mixed martial arts kind of, you know, the blows to the head um, kind of messed up his head because... What's not talked about in these contact sports is the brain damage. That's another thing too. There's a good chance of you getting brain damage when you uh, when you choose to do these types of sports: boxing, MMA, kickboxing, football. Yeah, brain damage. Pages are filled with rants about society and promises to murder people. One entry said that Miller was going to penetrate, perpetrate. A national tragedy and that he left behind a journal <clears throat> to be understood if you're reading this then I'm definitely dead 
and have just committed a national tragedy. I left the journal for all the investigators, media, internet sleuths, etc. But most importantly, this is for the very few people that I actually care about. I want to understand why and how this happened so they can be at peace. I'm going to lay it all out for you all so that you, so by the end of all of this, you will understand why I did what I did. What you see here is a documentation description of the months, weeks, days, from today up until the massacre. Well, then I guess I should tell you all a little bit about myself. Yeah, not much. That's noteworthy. And most of the stuff about my birth and early life, ah, back when things were much, much simpler. It's going to be pretty easy to, to find. I've changed a lot since then, obviously, lol. Real changes started a little two years ago when COVID first started to become a global thing. God, that messed up everything for me. I still continue to believe that the entire world fell for that. <clears throat> I cannot believe the whole world fell for that. The virus itself was real and deadly, but instead of actually coming up with a real solution to the problem, they, meaning the tyrannical U.S. government, instead used the problem to create mass hysteria and panic among us, meaning the people of America, and then forced us into isolation and loneliness for a significant amount of time. I still haven't been able to pull myself out of that state. Despite numerous attempts to getting back into MMA, which I still love so dearly and always will, despite numerous attempts to new jobs, despite numerous attempts to uh, finding love, once again, despite numerous attempts at being social and trying to make new friends, they proved fruit high. So now here we are. I hope that this journal can give you all the sense of peace and closure, but the world has made this happen. I am responsible for this. But I was turned into a monster I created this tragedy But society created me Okay he doesn't want to take responsibility for his actions Okay And I'll say it again Deleting yourself Is a long term solution To a short term problem so, Deleting yourself is not the answer It isn't You harm others And you harm yourself I mean, he didn't help doing this. This was not a solution. Another post, Miller claimed he was not a white supremacist or incel, but rather hated everything. He added, I'm at peace with the monster I've become. Police revealed in new news conference on August 29th that, that as officers responded, the shooter entered from the Fox Hollow apartment shooting rounds from an AR-15 style rifle. He entered the west entrance of the Safeway. Instead, the entrance, he shot one person, Bennett, who died. The shooter continued through Safeway, shooting and killing a second person, Surrett, inside the store. Police entered the store while shots were still being fired, and they found Miller deceased. Authorities found a shotgun and AR-15 rifle in close proximity to the shooter. There was no evidence of a second shooter, despite early reports. Molotov cocktails were found in Miller's car. Miller posted photos with guns on social media, brought an AR-15 to the Safeway store on August 27, 2022. In a drill entry, Miller wrote that he was done waiting. That appears to be why he chose the Safeway store instead of a school. I can't wait any longer. The rage has become uncontrollable. The journal entry reads. But I... There needs to be a look at how the brain is damaged due to many blows and kicks to the head. Um, doing MMA and competing in MMA. 
and they have to look at the mental as mental health aspect of these you know dealing in contact sports that's what needs to be looked at I definitely have to say that all right All right, on to the next one. And joins us tonight. Bill, good evening. Good evening, Gabrielle. Life returning to the stretch of bars along Water Street. I'm at Juno and Edison, where bar goers were confronted with something that they could hardly. Right here in front of us. 
Department is investigating the shooting. At the time, Blackney was out on bond. He was awaiting sentencing. He pleaded guilty last month to raping a 13-year-old girl. Whoa. Whoa. That, that. Yeah, whoa, whoa. Hmm. Wow. You let that person out? If he's guilty, keep him in prison. This would have never have happened. If you kept him in prison, the system is broken. And unfortunately, the way things are going, I think it's necessary. There has to be a, a restart, a literal restart, a literal reboot. Because it's too far gone. It is too far gone. All right, corruption has gotten to a point where uh, it, it, it's too much to clean up. It's too much garbage to clean up. Okay, it's gotten to a point where, yeah, the whole thing, the, the whole thing got to go. You got you throw the throw it all away. Throw everything away. That's what has to happen. So let's check out these squatters trying to squat in a mansion. Let's see how that how that played out. The home of a current NASCAR driver, now at the center of a squatters case. This Rowan County home is currently for sale. Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Alex Giles. And I'm Maddie Gardner. Deputies have arrested these two people, Darius Hall and Natasha Fields. Both are facing multiple charges, including breaking and entering and trespassing. Rowan County was alerted after surveillance video from the multi-million dollar home showed four people inside of it just days ago. WBTV's Lowell Rose joins us from Rowan County with more. It's an unusual case involving people from the more sovereign nation. An anti-government group known by law enforcement for defrauding people of property and money. This time, their target was a massive home listed for nearly $16 million. It was a break-in of the residents. They had no right to be there. It had never been sold. Rowan County deputies were called after the real estate company got a false report. The house was bought for $16 million and the money was wired to the mayor of Mooresville. And, you know, through the real estate company, we, you know, we were notified and responded uh, to the location. Deputies found two adults and two children on the property. The real estate company noticed the people on surveillance video. They were, at that point were uh, detained. There was a firearm found on the mail. Deputies say they found an assault rifle in the car, fake money, and the people refused to cooperate with them. The car had a paper sovereign. Second degree trespassing and two counts are contributing to the delinquency of a minor. 
Paul also faces charges of carrying a concealed weapon. We've seen it before, and we've seen him have other interactions with uh, sovereign citizen groups here. The real estate company declined to comment about the incident. Rowan County Sheriff's Office says there are now changes in place at the state to prevent this from happening again. There is security there now to avoid any uh, situation where that might happen again. The Sheriff's Office telling me that both people have been released on bond. These alleged squatters are set to appear before a judge on September 26th at Rowan County District Criminal Court. Reporting in Salisbury, Laura Rose, WBTV. You have a lot of these people, you know, these subculture black groups that are, you know, believing these lies of these, like, sovereign nation, all this nonsense. No, no. And I, I do think um, a lady who was, uh, she was driving around with cardboard uh, license plates I think I think I think it was uh, um, not gonna say her name but um, she was doing that and she ended up dying eventually she ended up dying because she hooked up with a drug dealer she was hooked she was already in a relationship with a drug dealer and he had a warrant out for his arrest a lot of these people who do this sovereign nation nonsense um, they're into crime These pseudo uh, Conscious black groups They're into crime Or some something that is illegal Okay Some of them suffer from mental illness And they are dangerous Extremely dangerous And they're harming people Especially those who are willfully ignorant You have them a lot In the low income black communities Alright What's the next one right here What's this one right here A lot of these men in powerful positions, they don't know how to control themselves. Sad to say, you have a lot of them. Not all, but you have a lot of them that are just incels. And in, I'm starting to see that incels, uh, they could, they're in every, you know, ethnic group. They're in uh, different economic classes, and um, they will try to take. Advantage of women any way they can And then cry about the consequences Afterwards Let's get into this story Fox 6's Bill Niston Has the details From working behind The raised wire to now being Locked up herself. The Racine County Sheriff's Office booked 37-year-old Jacqueline Height in early Thursday morning on 20 counts of second-degree sexual assault by... My bad. My bad. My bad. Misread it. Whew! Misread it. Women could be predators too, and incels. 
the correctional staff, 20 counts of misconduct in public office, and one count of providing an inmate with contraband. Height has not been charged with a crime. In a statement, the DOC said this is an active investigation, including the DOC's internal affairs office conducting its own investigation. DOC can't comment. Have not been charged. Remember what I was saying about women, you know, committing crimes and they're not judged the same way as men. On the allegations and charges at this time for risk of jeopardizing these active and ongoing investigations. Currently, DOC employee Jacqueline Hyde is on administrative leave without pay. The sheriff's office started its... Why is she allowed to be able to go to her home? She should be locked up in some jail where nobody knows she's there. Nobody even knows her name. Nobody knows her gender. She's just fed and that's it. Okay. Until she has to come for sentencing. Investigation on Wednesday after a tip that Height was having sex with a Racine Correctional Institution. Sheriff's office said in a press release the inmate said the two had sex in her office three to four times a week since April. And a cell phone backed up those allegations, which the sheriff's office says Height. It gotta be true. It gotta be true. It has to be true that the reason why women do not get char do not get punished the same way as men for crime is because the jails will be overflowing with women. Cause when I think about this story, there's a lot of women who have had who use their power and authority to have sex with male inmates. Because, you know, they're in the correctional facility working double and triple shifts. They go and they do this. Just dumb. I remember hearing a story about a woman who worked in Rikers. And she was working with an inmate to try and get her husband killed. Can you imagine that? You working with another inmate to get your husband killed because you try this is why I say female guards should work in female prisons and male guards should work in male prisons cut down on this right away I deny but then stopped answering questions when confronted with the cell phone evidence Height of Franksville has been a licensed social worker in the state since 2010 and is a corrections program supervisor it's unclear if Height as an attorney, the sheriff's office says charges are expected to be filed next week. Bill Liston, Fox 6 News. Insane, man. Insane. Now we got this story right here. All right. Teachers are now working where others were once twerking. Madeline O'Neill in the studio to explain how all that happened. Ted couldn't help himself with that one, but yeah, it's cool how this all came together. The Ozaki Christian School head says this is 32 years in the making. After leasing in churches for the school's entire existence, the school finally has a permanent building 
buying the old strip club in 2019. And at a ribbon-cutting open house today, she said they're exactly where they're meant to be. It's a huge transformation. We've heard it before. God works in mysterious ways. There's no way we could have written a story like this. Sometimes it goes a step beyond that. God works in crazy, mysterious ways. It is a crazy transformation. Um, the, the part of the building directly behind me was a strip club. The former Westman Spear Mint Rhino Strip Club on Highway 33. Today we're here at Ozaki Christian School. We're in our multi-purpose room. It's now ready to welcome a very different clientele. God has really taken something that was dark, um, something where uh, women were objects and, and men were allowed to be irresponsible, and now he's turned it into a place of light. On the Ozaki Christian School Board, Dave Schwartz has three daughters in the 3K through 8th grade school. What are we raising money for today? Our Washington, D.C. trip. To cut through hesitation, he says the project may have taken a leap of faith or two. But he and head of school, Chris Austin, say the signs were there. But in many of the windows, the interior frame, the metal is a cross. Not leaving a shadow of a doubt that this building, no matter its past, will play a critical role in the school's future. As fun as that is, and as exciting as the new building is, it's really what happens within those classroom walls that gets me excited. The building the new school is in is also made up of part of an old strip mall, and the building and renovation cost a total of $1.6 million, with more than 190 donors contributing $1.5 million. In the past three years, enrollment at OCS has more than doubled to around 120 students this year. The new school building can hold about 150, and the school has already looking ahead to possibly expanding. Well, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you're taking something that was a place like, you know, like the guy said, I mean, um, women were looked upon as objects, uh, women were dressing half naked, men were paying them money and women were probably getting deleted and nobody knew about it. I look at it as a, a way of, uh, you know, using the the, uh, the buildings that were once used for ill repute and you're using them to for a positive change. Okay? You'll probably have some sex workers that are like, you're taking away work from sex workers. Nobody cares. I'll say that proudly. Nobody cares. Get a job. I don't care if it's minimum wage. Get a job. All right? At least you're able to work a job that you don't have to worry about some creep and pervert trying to attack you after hours. That's how I look at it. All right. Uh, let's take a look at this. Uh, the uh, Wakasha parade attack. Some charges dropped. Hmm. That is something that I, I am upset about. I'm upset about that one. during the upcoming Daryl Brooks trial. For much of the day today, that was the debate in a Waukesha County courtroom. Our Brett Lemoyne is live with the reason Brooks will now face fewer charges. Brett? 
should back up for a minute here because earlier this month, the defense filed a motion to dismiss the entire case. The judge here in Waukesha County will take up that issue in court tomorrow. This is all in preparation before the month-long trial starts in October. The judge today dropped six charges against Daryl Brooks. Daryl Brooks's defense attorneys filed a motion on Monday asking Judge Jennifer Doro to suppress statements Brooks made during questioning with Waukesha police. The testimony admitted today clearly demonstrates that a full 15 minutes or more passed from the point when the officers entered the room to when Detective Carpenter actually read Mr. Brooks's Miranda rights. The day after the Christmas parade attack, police met with Brooks for a second time. The defense argues information was, quote, obtained in violation of the Fifth Amendment and must be suppressed. The defense is alleging is that they should have walked into the room and immediately read him his rights. That is not the requirement under any case. Doral also sided with the defense, striking six charges of homicide by intoxicated use of a vehicle, saying a defendant can't face multiple punishments for the same crime. Brooks is still charged with six counts of first-degree intentional homicide. Doro ruled prosecutors cannot introduce evidence Brooks ran over an ex-girlfriend just days before the parade. The parade incident is a mass casualty and not a targeted single victim like with the other. It is not similar enough. Doro said prosecutors can't allow the jury to travel by bus along the parade route so long as Waukesha Strong or any signs associated with the case are removed. At least one victim was in the courtroom today. Tyler Pudliner was there with his mom. You might recall he was marching with Waukesha South's band when he was badly injured during the attack. Reporting live in Waukesha, Brentland... That is insane. That is insane. I don't... Why would you drop... Oh, man. That is crazy. That is insane. Alright. Judge grants defense motion to drop six counts against Wakasha Parade suspect. Daryl Brooks was charged with six count six counts of first degree intentional homicide and homicide by intoxication using a vehicle. Brooks is also charged with six counts of first degree uh, intentional homicide. He is now facing 77 charges. Brooks, the man charged in the Wakasha Christmas Parade tragedy appeared in Wakasha County Court Thursday for several motion hearings. He is accused of killing six people and injuring more than 70 last November when prosecutors say he drove his SUV through the parade route. Thursday's motion hearing were related to Brooks' attorney's request to throw out several pieces of evidence, including interrogation recordings from the night of the parade. His attorney argues Brooks' right to remain silent was violated. Court proceedings began with testimony from Wakasha Police Detective. He was questioned about Brooks' demeanor and treatment after he was arrested. The detective testified that during the first two days of speaking with Brooks, no incriminating statements were made. I subsequently did read the rights to Mr. Brooks, and he ultimately indicated that he was not willing to speak at that time, indicating not right now. Wakasha Police Detective Jay Carpenter said, the detective said it was Brooks' who kept asking the officers questions, not them, and they never questioned him about the parade after he said he didn't want to speak. 
Waukesha Police Officer Benjamin Stern also testified. He said during Brooks' transfer to Waukesha County Jail, he made statements of remorse. He stated, he, he stated to me he didn't mean to kill nobody, Stern said. Brooks' attorney also are also requesting evidence found during a search of Brooks' cell be dismissed. Judge Jennifer Darrow asked Brooks' defense to further examine, further explain why the documents that were found are privileged and file the request under seal. An officer testified Brooks smelled like burnt marijuana the night of the parade, but didn't seem impaired at all. Thursday afternoon, prosecutors discussed how they planned to drive jurors along the parade route. District Attorney Susan Oprah said she wants to avoid a situation that happened during the Kyle Rittenhouse trial where a journalist from New York followed the jury bus. Jurors will also see Brooks' vehicle. Brooks will be back in court Friday. The judge is expected to rule on whether or not his interrogation statements should be suppressed, as well as documents found during a search of Brooks' jail cell. Jury selection could bring in could be bringing around three on um, 315 potential jurors starting October 3rd. It's ridiculous, man. Utterly ridiculous. This man needs to be under the jail. Already they finding nonsense and loopholes. All right. Let's get into some overseas news. Which could affect us later down the line. Switzerland threatens residents who heat their homes this winter with jail time. For the first time ever, Switzerland is imposing a nationwide restrictions on energy use amid the crisis in Ukraine. Ridiculous, man. This is utterly ridiculous. Violators, are, were, we are told, face fines and even prison time depending on the type of offense. In late August, Swiss authorities announced that due to Western sanctions against Russia that prompted the latter to shut off the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, the Swiss people will not be allowed to heat their homes past 19 degrees Celsius or 66.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Swiss Economic Department spokesman Marcus Spornelli told the Blick newspaper this week that gas supplies are dwindling, which means restrictions are necessary to avoid a total loss come winter. Wow. Violations of the country's law on supplies always constitute offense on offenses or even crimes and should be prosecuted by cantons by default. Sporn Lee is quote as saying, explaining that international violators... I'm sorry, intentional violators of the new rule face up to three years of prison time. This writer is no expert on the subject, but it would seem as though heating a, heating a prison might be more energy intensive than heating a single family home or flat, especially if prison space has to be expanded to accommodate all the new offenders who will be ripped out of their homes and sent to the climate gulag. In a Swiss person... If a Swiss person accidentally overheats his or her home, then prison time will be exchanged for a simple fine because the government can always use more money. The Swiss government is also ordering citizens to stop using heaters and hot air tents inside their homes. All saunas and heated pools must also be turned off to fight Vladimir Putin. 
Even making water for tea or coffee is now prohibited as Swiss government has set a heating limit of water of 60 degrees Celsius or 140 degrees Fahrenheit. The boiling point of water is 212 degrees Fahrenheit, which means the Swiss people will not be allowed to cook rice, pasta, or anything else that requires water warmer than 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. How Switzerland plans to police all this remains unknown. Will it deploy roving teams of water spies to make sure every Swiss resident shuts off the burner the moment a pot of water hits 140 degrees Fahrenheit? What little electricity ends up remaining available in Switzerland in this winter, once supplies tapper off, will be extraordinarily expensive anyway, preventing the poorest citizen from staying alive. For this reason, Werner Lebenkuhl, Head of the Swiss Electricity Commission of Elcom urged citizens back in August to stock up now on candles and firewood in anticipation of possible power outages come winter. Sounds like a lot more like the Swiss citizenry needs to be putting its clueless, corrupt, and vassalized leaders into jail this winter, wrote a commenter on Sput- at Sputnik News about the situation. This is all expected outcome of the godless nations like Switzerland that breed depravity, arrogance, and death. Canada and Australia are fading quickly, and with the United States declining morally, the future looks bleak for the wicked, this person added. Another emphasis that none of this would be happening if the European Union, the EU, would stop supporting Ukraine, where a Nazi remnant has been pushing Putin for over eight years until enough was enough. So Putin is bad and a tyrant because he won't supply the enemy sympathizers, this person added. The current U.S. administration has, from day one, cut off U.S. supplies of energy, and yet no one sees that as an act of war on us. Europe is committing economic suicide with its sanctions against Russia. I believe so. I believe so. Well, that's all I have for now. Tune in next time. If you're interested in more about this channel, you could always look at the description box and be informed of what's um, about this channel. Okay. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later.